That was, that was lovely. That, that song actually ties in really well. I asked God if he would do that for me. He pulled Blake in, but it really captures well the, the theme of my message this morning as I would share with you. And, um, and I will just say as well that <clears throat> I had two ways to approach preaching two services. It was going to be if the first uh, service didn't go that well, it was going to be my warm-up, and so this is going to be the really good sermon. But if, if, it, uh, if it went really well in the first service, then I already hit it, and so, so I'm sorry you guys are kind of getting the left, so, <clears throat> so we'll kind of see. You, you let me know which one this, this falls into. No, no I'm, I'm kidding, but, uh, but it is a joy to be with you, and if you're visiting with us, I, um, I'm not that guy. I'm, I lead the music here, and so Pastor Daniel uh, is gone this week, and then Additionally, next week, we will have uh, Pastor Rich from Bethany Baptist. Pastor Daniel will be preaching out there, and so we will be uh, glad to have Pastor Rich join us as well. Daniel will be back on June 2nd. So we'll see how this goes. But uh, if you would take your Bibles with me and turn to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, we're going to read it through together. And as you have it there, I invite you to stand with me in honor of God and his word. Let's read it through together, starting in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. Yes, more than a watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. He may be seated. Let's open in prayer as we begin our time. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I love you this morning and, and I'm, I'm thankful for the, the privilege that we have to open up your word together this morning. Lord, we, I, am a, I am in need of you this morning and, and Lord, we are a people in need of you. We need you to work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we we consider a lofty topic this morning, Lord, your your holiness, your righteousness. Your holiness can be a terrifying thought for someone living in an unrighteous way. And Lord, your holiness can be a marvelous and glorious thought for someone who has a right understanding of of the gospel. And so this morning, Father, I would pray for humility as I speak, for boldness as I declare your truth, and that through your word, you would speak clearly to us. A lot's gone on this morning already, Lord, and so I would pray um, even now that you would just remove, remove the distractions from, from our minds, from our hearts, And Lord, help us to focus on your eternal truth that you have for us this morning. 
cause us to marvel at the wonder of your grace and mercy. Draw us to yourself this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm sure as you, as you came in this morning, or maybe even as you uh, came into the theater, someone said to you, or you said to someone else, how are you doing? And they probably responded with, I'm fine, how are you doing? And you said, I'm fine. And that was kind of the extent. You went along your way, and they did their thing, you did their thing, and then there was nothing, no skin off, off either of you. And, and the reality is, in a room this size, there's probably many of us who are not, who are not fine this morning. There are there are things that, that we're struggling with in our hearts. There are things that are going on in our lives that are, are uh, discouraging or, or depressing or keeping us from focusing on the right things. And, um, and so I just, I want us to be aware that as we talk of our text this morning um, about being fine, sometimes I think it's okay to, to, to say, you know, before God, am I, am I fine? It reminds me of a story. I'd like to share with you about a, a farmer. Farmer's in the crowd this morning. Farmer Joe, he was in a car accident and, and he decided uh, because of the injuries that he sustained that he was, uh, was going to take the trucking company to court. And so uh, while he was in court, that the trucking company had a fancy lawyer and the lawyer was questioning Farmer Joe and, and he said to Farmer Joe, well, didn't you say at the scene of the accident that I'm fine? Questioned the lawyer, and, and Farmer Joe responded, Well, I'll tell you what happened. I had just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into the... And the lawyer interrupted. I didn't ask for any details. Just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Farmer Joe continued. Well, I, you see, I had just gotten Bessie into the trailer, and, and I was driving down the highway, and, and the lawyer interrupted again. Judge, I, I'm trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrolman on the scene that he was fine. And now, several weeks later, he's trying to sue my client. I believe he's a fraud. Please tell him to simply answer the question. Well, by this time, the judge became fairly interested in former Joe's answer. And so he said to the lawyer, I'd like to hear what, what he has to say about his favorite mule, Jesse. Well, Joe thanked the judge and proceeded. Thank you, Your Honor. As I was saying, I just loaded Bessie, my favorite mule, into the trailer and was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck trailer ran the stop sign and smacked into the truck right in the side. I was thrown into one ditch and Bessie was thrown into the other. I was hurting real bad and, and I knew she was in terrible pain as well. I could hear her moaning and groaning. Shortly after the accident, a highway patrolman came on the scene, and he could hear Bessie moaning and groaning, and so he went over to her. After he looked at her briefly, he took out his gun and he shot her. And then the patrolman came over to me with his gun in his hand, and he looked at me, and, and he said, I'm sorry, sir, your, your mule was, was in really bad shape. I had to put her down. So tell me, how are you feeling? It was at that moment, Your Honor, that I said to the kind officer, I'm fine. <laughs> so, when you leave this morning, if, hopefully if someone asks you how you're doing, you will be honest with them and tell them how you really are doing. If we were to go around this morning and, and talk about 
activities of our week, what, what things that you have done that have filled your time this past week, I'm sure we'd get many different answers. Maybe some of you would say, well, over this past week I've, I've traveled or I've, uh, I've taken some classes this week or, or maybe I, I had final exams this week or, or something like that. That would be what comes to your mind as you would think about the activities of your week. Or maybe perhaps as you think of the week, you would, you would say something like, well, this past week I celebrated a birthday or, or a loved one of mine celebrated a birthday or, or an anniversary of a special event. That would be what you, what you think of. Or maybe even as you would think of the week, you would think of some of the more, the more mundane, ordinary things that all of us hopefully do. I, well, I, I ate something this week. I, I drank some this week. I, I took a nap. I slept. I I brushed my teeth, I, I took a shower, hopefully, or a bath, hopefully you did that this week. Those would those be the things that come to your mind. Or maybe even as you would think of that question, what did you do this week, your mind would go to the spiritual things. Well, I, I read God's Word this week, I, I spent time in study, I, I listened to uh, the, the radio regarding a sermon or a study, listened to God's Word on CD. Maybe that was how you would answer that. I, I fasted this week. I, I prayed. I, I went to the Bethany Channel and listened to the sermon of my favorite pastor. Maybe you did that. I don't know. Maybe not. Those are the things that you did. And while all of us have different answers, I, I could confidently say this morning that I think there is one thing that all of us have, did, have done this week, something that I did, something that you did, something our, our children did, our loved ones even, even those who are not here this morning, in one form or another, either in our, in our thoughts or in our deeds, in our words, our affections, we have, all, we have all sinned this week. We have all committed sin against the holy and righteous God. I'm sure that's not the first thought that came to your mind when I said, so what did you do this week? And yet, that is true. There was something that I... I said, or I, um, I did not do that God called me to do. I, I failed to follow his, his law. I neglected his instructions. I rebelled against his very truth and his word. For some here, sin perhaps brought grief for yourself or for others. And sadly, for some, there may have been a sin committed that didn't even cross your mind when you were sinning. You had a a level or a degree of, of indifference toward that act. This morning we are, we are going to consider sin, but, but more importantly we're going to focus it on considering God's holiness and God's justice. We're going to consider his mercy and his forgiveness, and we're going to consider his hope and his love. And as we consider these truths, we're going to look at it through three statements to help us not only to remember it, but even just to, to communicate the text. And they're from verses 3 to 5. And the first, uh, the statements are these. A terrifying question, a satisfying declaration, and a glorifying exclamation. And so let's, let's look first, as we look at verse 3, a glorifying, or pardon me, a terrifying question. A terrifying question is, from verse 3, who can stand, the second part of that verse, who can stand before God? If we consider this text by itself, it would be unfair to the, to the context. And so I draw, I'd like to draw your attention first 
to the, to the preceding two verses to give us some, some clarity as well as to make some, some observations. We can see in verse 1 and 2 that the writer is, is depicting himself in, in the depths. Whether it's water, whether he's in a deep hole, he is, he is in desperate need of help. The psalm is known as a psalm of ascent, meaning that it was written during the time when the, uh, when the pilgrims were traveling to, to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And so we don't know who the specific author was, but we know that it was the children of Israel that were writing a psalm of, of plea and of mercy, a psalm of, of repentance. And so this first phrase here in verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, it's similar to what David writes in Psalm 69 where he says, for the waters have come up to my neck. I have come into deep waters. The author is gripped by fear and worry as in his heart as he anticipates perhaps death and death that he could only associate by, by drowning or being in, in, in deep, deep need. The, the author does not specify what his circumstances are, but it is apparent that they are gravely serious. He cries out for help to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Another interesting note is how the author centers his, his statements there in verse 1 and 2. There's two statements. And in the literary style, what he does is he, uh, he structures them as, as parallel lines that are kind of inverted. And what I mean by that is, if you look at, if you look at the text, um, the first statement out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. That would be a, an ABC statement. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. And then that second statement, he's inverted it and said, O Lord, hear my voice. And so he's kind of inverted that, making the, the central point, that, that C statement in both parallel statements, focusing on the Lord. I think that's intentional as he is focusing his theme, focusing his um, desire to be rescued and saved on God. Additionally, there, there are just titles that are drawn differently from the two names for God. The first word, Lord, perhaps in your version, is all caps, L-O-R-D. That is referring to, to Yahweh God, the, the covenant-keeping God, God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the second Lord capital L, smaller case O-R-D, is referring to, it's the Adonai, referring to the sovereign Lord, the, the ruler overall. So there's a distinction there as well that gives us clarity for the text. So that brings us to verse 3 within that context, recognizing the need and the desperate situation in which the author finds himself. With that in mind, he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? The key phrase there is think about it. Think about it. The author is, is pondering that reality, that terrifying reality of standing before a holy God. It'd be very easy this morning to hear the kind of the intro or the, or the theme of our message and think to yourself, oh good, here's the message that so-and-so needs to hear. Uh, this message is for you. Or maybe perhaps you would be thinking, well, praise the Lord, Mike's going to 
preach a message to the sinners among us. This, uh, this message is for you this morning. Or, or maybe, and I, and I would pray not, but maybe this morning as you're sitting here, you read that statement that I make of who could stand if the Lord would mark iniquity, and you say to yourself, well, why should I even bother? If, if God's going to keep track of all the wrongs that I've committed against him, it's not even worth it to try. I'll never make it. This message is for you as well. And so no matter where you are in your life or, or your journey of, of how God is working in your heart today, this message is for you. This, this message has been for me this week as I've, as I've studied through it. You see, the, the genuine condition of your heart is going to determine how you are going to stand before a holy God. As we look at verse 2, we see that sense of, of pleading on the part of the psalmist. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my ears, or to my pleas for mercy. Whatever it is that brought him to this place, the idea here is that he is, he is aware, he's thinking about his sin, and is fearful that that sin that he has committed might cause God not only to leave him in the depths, but even to turn his ears away from him. And so he's praying, God, don't leave me here. He's saying, don't allow this sin, don't allow my sin to bring this great distance in my life. And as he thinks about that reality, perhaps he's thinking, what if, what if God doesn't hear my prayer? What if, what if God leaves me here? What if I seek the face of God and he turns it from me because of the sin in my heart? What if I ask God to listen to me and because of the seriousness of my sin or, or because of the, the boldness of my sin, because maybe that it's a sin that I've committed so many times, I've kept telling God I, I won't do it again and, and I do it again. What if this time God decides he's not going to hear me? What if this time God decides he's not going to forgive me? He's not going to grant me mercy this is the idea that's going through the psalmist's mind as he's wrestling with standing before a holy God. Who could stand? What if God dealt with me in a way that corresponded to all the sins that I have committed against him? The word here in that first part of the verse says, if you were to, oh Lord, if you were to mark iniquity, that term for mark, it means to treasure up or to guard, to put under lock and key, to preserve. So if, even as the modern translations would say, to, to keep record of. What if the Lord were to keep record of our sins and hold them against us? The term for iniquity there, if the Lord were to mark our iniquity, iniquity is a, is a particular form of sin. We often just equate synonymously sin and iniquity but the, in the in the original intent of the word is talking about something twisted or perverted it it describes the ugliness of sin in a particular way of living your life that that goes against or that that twists and perverts what god has done so what if god were to look at that sin that we have done and were to lock that away to treasure it up to store it against us keeping record of it in all of its ugliness, and to bring it before us as we stand before him. What would that be like? What if, what if through technology we had, we had the opportunity to say, 
hey, we're, gonna, we're just going to throw up on the screen everything that you've done. For, we're just going to take the, the past week. God's just going to take the past week and throw up on the screen all the sins, all the, the sinful words, the thoughts of your heart, the actions that you've done before all to see what, what would that look like? What if God were to do that? Would, would that get your attention? Would that cause you to think about God's righteousness and your unrighteousness? I'm certain that we would feel ashamed before one another. And notice what the psalmist writes. If you, O Lord, the covenant-keeping God, the God who keeps your word, were to mark iniquity, and then he uses that word, O sovereign Lord, the, the maker of all, who could stand? Perhaps he also thought of Again, this is the Old Testament time. He probably had a recollection of how God dealt with sin with the children of Israel and, and those that were not following him. Perhaps he, he began to think about how God dealt with sins immediately in their context. So imagine this morning, if, or even this past week, if you were complaining about your lot in life. I complained this week. I'm sure maybe you did as well. How hard life is. You begin to complain about your job or complain about your house or complain about your car, about your health, about your kids, your naughty kids. My kids are not naughty. Complain about your spouse. We complain about the sermon being too short. Uh, all, and all of a sudden, let's say, fiery serpents appear and kill us. That's crazy. But that, that's how God judged sin in the Old Testament. What if we were to get together again and, and we're, and we'll, we could even say the body of Christ, we get together in fellowship and we're going to fellowship and, and we're mumbling and complaining about um, life and, and, and we, um, we allow things to fester in our hearts as we, as we even come into this room and sit down and, and sing songs of praise to our God and, and we're thinking about something else someone did against us we're not happy about it what if what if in that context this morning god knowing that's where your heart is would split open the the room and and swallow up those who have committed those sins i might fall in there's a there's a man in the old testament named Uzzah, in and i pronounce you can pronounce it however you want u z z a h in second samuel 6 David was transporting the, the Ark of the Covenant. And this man reached out his hand to steady the Ark. And God struck him dead. Many would read that and say, God seems harsh. But as you look at the text in 2 Samuel, was, God gave very clear instructions. They're not to be taken lightly. Or what if... What if we think of the worship of King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26? He was a king who allowed pride and idol worship in his own heart to lead him and direct him. And so in the very, in the very temple of God, he decided that as the king, it would be acceptable for him to offer a sacrifice of incense to God after clearly instruction was given that that was the, the job, the function for the priests. That seems minor. 
God gives such clear instruction that at that moment when, when King Uzziah in the prideful condition of his heart offered a sacrifice wrongly, God struck him with leprosy. And as he died, and even as he is remembered, he was not remembered as a great king, but rather as a king who had leprosy, which was a reminder of, his, of God's judgment upon him. What if God were to deal with us that way? What if God were to deal with us as Ananias and Sapphira? They plotted and planned together to shade the truth when a certain question was asked of them. They were going to make people think they were something that they were not. That never happens today, does it? Hypocrisy. What happened to them? They were, they were killed. Does that ever happen? People, people don't sin that way, do they? Conspire to put on facades. Families never sin that way. Husbands and wives, they never talk to each other in ways that would bring shame to the name of God. No, they put on a false front, don't they? Just like Ananias and Sapphira. What if God were to deal with us in those ways? What if he dealt with us in our world as he did in the ancient world in the times of Noah? He destroyed all the earth because of their wickedness continually. I could go on and on of God's quick and sure judgment of sin that was appropriate and just and fair. Praise the Lord, that's not, where, that's not where it ends. God is not a God of, of harsh judgment, a lawgiver that, that sees no place for grace or mercy. That brings us to our second point here in verse, in verse 4. <clears throat> a satisfying declaration. There is forgiveness with God. There is forgiveness with God. As, as we consider that terrifying reality of standing before a holy God, we are drawn, we should be drawn to a bold declaration of seeking His forgiveness. If we're to think about, if we're to go around the room maybe and think of the testimony of, of our coming to faith in Christ, and again, I'm speaking to the believer here that has placed their faith and trust in Christ, but I'm certain that many of you, if not all, as you came to that recognition of, of your need of a Savior, it was your, your recognition of your own sin, um, the, the terror of standing before God. That's, that's my testimony in, in some, some ways. When I was four, I was four years old, and my six-year-old sister and I were playing in the basement, and the and the and maybe you've heard this story, sorry, listen again. And the power went out, and it was dark in the room. And so my sister, in, a way to, in an effort to encourage me, said, this is what hell is going to be like, Mike. It's going to be dark and lonely, and this is it. You know, and, well, I didn't want that. And so, so I was afraid and filled, filled with, with fear. And so lights came back on, you know, she got a spanking. And, um, and, I, uh, and I talked with my mom about, about what that meant. You know, what, what do you mean I'm, I'm going to be in darkness? I'm going to be alone. My, my young, innocent heart was filled with fear. Was my fear before a holy God? No. Have I grown in my understanding of what, what that means, what that looks like? Yes. 
But the reality is, as we are faced and even gripped by a right understanding of God's holiness and standing before him, it should, it should magnify, it should, it should push us towards pleading, as the psalmist does here, for his mercy, for his forgiveness. You see, God, God is the lawgiver. He is the one who not only gives the law, but he is the one who judges and, and executes his judgment. Think of it this way. Imagine you were to be brought before a judge in society where the judge is a lawmaker and judge and executioner, and you were brought before that judge for striking a child. Now again, we'll leave that to interpretation of what that means, spanking or not. But, and the judge is the judge that wrote that law that says if, if any person strikes a child, the punishment, the penalty for that is death. And so you know that you're going to stand before that judge. And you also know that it wasn't just any child that you struck, but it was, it was this judge's child. And so as you enter that courtroom, you recognize that not only, not only is, the, is the judge the one who wrote the law, and not only is, is the judge the one who, who carries out the law, but, but it's personal. It's personal. Our sins, in, in a similar way, our sins are personal against the holy God. He, he is the maker and the creator of all. He, he made you and desires that you worship him and desires that you please him. And so as we stand before a holy God and, and as we recognize our own sinfulness, it should lead us to ask for forgiveness. That's our key phrase there, ask for it. The word of God speaks of the distance between God who is absolutely holy and man who is sinful. Psalm 14, where Paul picks up later in, in his epistle, saying, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So God, God who is holy, has spoken these words and he intends his word to be trembled at and obeyed as those who would follow him, to be taken seriously. And yet people, even, even God's people, we treat it carelessly. We, there's commitments that we've made that we don't keep. Vows made and not heeded. We pursue our own lust for our own pleasure. We're harsh. We're judgmental. We have proudful thoughts. We condemn our own brothers. We talk about things that don't belong to us that we desire. We bear false witness against another. We cover up things that God gave to another and deny it. We complain about how he has provided or not provided for us. On and on we could go of how we live our lives contrary to that truth. What does Romans 3 tell us as we think of, of forgiveness, as we think of God's righteousness and our unrighteousness? Romans 3.19 tells us this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So this doesn't mean that righteousness comes through obeying the law. This means that the law reveals or manifests our own righteousness so clearly. For by the works of the law, or pardon me, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God, here's the good news, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believed. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's about the gospel. Before a holy God, we can never, we can never stand on your, on your best week, on your best day, your best hour, even the last two minutes. You're, you're not able to stand before a holy God righteous because of our sin. And, and God in, in his grace and in his, in his mercy offers that free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins through, through his son Jesus Christ, through faith in him and his work. Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who will call upon you. Psalm 103, 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Here's what the psalmist is saying. What am I going to do when I stand before the holy, holy God, the God who gave the law, the God who knows the thoughts and deeds of my heart? What's he going to do? Maybe he recognizes that this is the God of Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, where God says to him as well as to all sinners, come now, let us reason together, says, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This God comes to the sinner, draws the sinner to himself. And as the sinner is thinking about his own judgment, and perhaps you've heard it phrased this way, if you were to stand before God, righteous and holy, and he were to ask you, why should I allow you into heaven? Why should I allow you to enter my kingdom? What would you say? What would your defense be? My prayer is that it would be, it would be the gospel. I, I am a sinner unworthy 
unable to save myself in my own doing. Nothing that I do, no, no external work can save me. But I need your forgiveness for my sin. I place, I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, as Romans 3 told us. Faith in Christ, the redemption that came through him, his shed blood has given me forgiveness of my sin. So as I stand before God, the righteous judge, the lawgiver, I am declared righteous because of Jesus Christ. Would you, would you be able to say that confidently? My prayer, my hope is that it would be able to be said of you. Ephesians 2 says this, but we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by very nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Mm. He offers us forgiveness. He freely gives his grace, lavishes it upon us as we call upon him. As the psalmist here pleads for mercy, he recognizes that God has the power to judge and has the power to bring about judgment. But he's pleading for God's mercy, for God to withhold that act. And God does that for us as well. He withholds his punishment of wrath that we might come to him in faith. That brings us to our third statement. So our first statement, we looked at a, a terrifying question who can stand before a holy God? Who can stand before God? Think about it. We looked at a, a satisfying declaration. There is forgiveness with God. Ask for it. And then thirdly here, we look at a glorifying exclamation. A glorifying exclamation. There is hope in God. There is hope in God. We look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord... My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. So not only is there hope in God, but there is hope in God's word and God's promises. We can see the sincerity of the psalmist as he declares those words, my soul waits. The word there for soul is talking about the deepest affection of his heart, his, his innermost being, all that he is, all that he can give. He waits, he trusts, he finds hope. I, I, would, I would commend that if, if you think about standing before the holy God and, and do not, and are not able to, to find comfort and peace in this same hope, don't have this mindset deep within your soul of the confidence of being able to stand before holy God knowing you'll be declared righteous you may have need to worry this morning. Our faith needs to be real. Our faith needs to be genuine, not, again, based on an external work or, or not based on a, an act of goodness, a, a past experience that we had, but rather it needs to be based on the genuine trust and hope 
in Jesus Christ and in God and in his word. That's powerful. That's, that's transforming to your soul. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved or how newly you've been saved or even if, if you're here this morning and you have not come to a place placing your faith and trust in him. This is, this is word of encouragement from God's word that he offers hope and trust in him as we live in outward obedience as well. The key phrase there is to live like it. Live like it. Are you living your life in a way that demonstrates having hope and confidence in God and in his word? I'm reminded as we, as we close here, I'm reminded of a song that I love, and can it be? The last verse says, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head and clothed in his righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Jesus Christ my own. Can you... Can you claim that crown this morning? Knowing that you will not suffer the dread of any condemnation, as Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That could be you, Lord, I pray that it is. It's only fitting as we, as we transition our time here where we're going to partake together of communion, of the Lord's Supper. And so even as we turn our attention to the ultimate gift of God's love for us in sending his son Jesus. May we be reminded of his body that was broken and of his blood that was shed for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. And Lord, even as I said at the beginning, we are in need of you. And we are unable to stand before you apart from the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray even now as we, as we remember, as we think about your sacrifice for our sins, as we think about the free gift of salvation that you offered through him and through faith, in him, we can have hope and confidence in you for all of eternity. May we find joy and may we find comfort and rest in that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.